0: Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Michelle White, and she'll be answering your questions on Subaruable Brookie Venues in South Park, Colorado. we will find out more about that in just a minute. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Michelle a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. You're out and about. On Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag #AskAboutFlyFishing and hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and uh, let other people know about the great show we're, we're hosting tonight. Content to this broadcast is copyrighted as the property of the Knowledge Group Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Michelle White about Subaruable brookie venues in South Park, Colorado. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel spring creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. That's leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Michelle, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year membership to Trout Unlimited. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Michelle's section that says Register for a Free Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Michelle's latest book, Suburbo Brookie Venues in South Park, Colorado, Courtesy of Tumbling Trout. Here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question's going to be about something that Michelle and I talk about during the show. So take notes, pay attention, and type fast, and uh, you may be the proud winner of Michelle's latest book, "Subaruable Brookie Rookie Venues in South Park, Colorado. Our guest tonight is Michelle White. Michelle is a retired international exploration geologist. She owns Tumbling Trout Fly Shop in Lake George, Colorado, and is a professional fly fishing guide. She's been fishing and rowing a dory on the great rivers of the West for 25 years. Michelle White is a VP of financial development for Pikes Peak Chapter of Trout Unlimited and volunteers on many regional river conservation events. She's a retired geologist and writes articles about the outdoors, most of which have been published in the Mountain Gazette. She is also the author of five books, including Lesser Known Fly Fishing Venues in South Park and Subaruable Brookie Venues in South Park, Colorado. Michelle, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio.
1: Hello, Doctor Roger Maves. Thank you for having me aboard again.
0: Yeah, I, I've well, never asked
1: you what you're a doctor of, but I'm assuming because you're a doctor, PhD, it's a doctor of philosophy. You
0: no, know, it's a doctor of life experiences. <laughs> I'm not a doctor.
1: And well it's just deserved,
0: my, well deserved. It's just my initials are Dr. So. Uh, How
1: hilarious is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a funny thing. That, yeah. The, one of my email addresses is drmaves at tkgi.com, and so everybody as soon as you know whether it's a you know a tech support people in india or whatever else, call me dr maves so uh, i just let it fly most of the times but but i have to no, i have I, to make a distinction tonight <laughs>
1: Well, I'm glad you did correct me on that, but um, I do like to imagine you being like an Ivy League dude and having Uh, a cardigan sweater and a little pipe and sitting on a bank fishing. We're going to talk about science tonight anyway. (laughs) We're going to talk about species and genus and stuff like that.
0: Oh, okay, okay. No, I'm I'm exactly the opposite of what you described. (laughs) uh, Anyway.
1: I'll hook you. I'll hook you. Okay,
0: okay. All right, so, yeah, last time we talked, we were talking about um, really the Terriol area and fishing that area. And, you know, like you said, the the title of your book, The Lesser Known uh, Places in South Park. Light fishing venues. Yeah, now, kind of explain, let's start with um, explaining South Park, because that's our topic again tonight. Uh, oh, let's jump
1: right to the geology. That's the best yeah. place. Okay. So tell us about the, it. The, um, you know, I'll remind you, and we've talked about this before, but the Front Range of Colorado is a big uplift, and it's not one big mountain range. It's like a mountain range, and then there's a high alpine valley, and another mountain range, another high alpine valley, and then you get to the Continental Divide, and the same thing on the other side. And so. Um, South Park is actually a high alpine basin behind the immediate front range, and South Park is where the South Platte River starts. The headwaters of the South Platte River start with the glaciers and these um, tarns and creeks and lakes, and they flow down and gather water, and they become the South Platte in South Park, and they turn through 11 Mile Canyon, which is a geologic feature, and go north, and it goes way out through denver and it goes on out to nebraska where it meets the north Platte down in uh in the area where cabela's the original cabela's was did you remember that when there was only one cabela's and you had to drive to nebraska and it was just a magnificent wonder it was like disneyland out there anyway that's where the confluences of the north Platte and the south Platte, and below lake mcconaughey is also a tails and then it flows into the Missouri River and it flows on down into the Mississippi River and thus into into the Gulf of Mexico but back here where I live and where my fly shop is tumbling trout fly shop we're in South Park and it's a 9,000 foot elevation basin it's a big valley it's a pull apart basin on one side is a range of mountains and then this kind of desolate looking basin valley and then there's the mosquito range on the west side and the reason south park is so desolate looking people go there's no trees and they they move here and they try to plant trees well the all of the moisture is coming from the west and it hits the mosquito range and drops all the moisture rain and snow and then you've got this Um, rain shadow a pressure shadow on the east side of the mosquito range and it's so arid there's less than 10 inches of water 10 less than 10 inches a year in South Park that's desert and so the wind blows across South Park the basin and the wind is sucking moisture out of the air there so you're in this place where Snow doesn't accumulate. It will evaporate faster than it will melt. And that is South Park. That's why there's no trees and the grass is very barren there. It's super arid. But Hmm. the Mosquito Range on the west, and the Mosquito Range is the mountain range that's behind Fairplay that you drive up and over the Continental Divide to drop down into Breckenridge. That Mosquito Range is the heart of the South Platte River. There used to be glaciers, and the glaciers, as they melted, turned and carved bowls, and so now these bowls in the mountain collect rainwater and snow. Those are called tarns. They're not lakes because rivers don't flow into them and rivers don't flow out of them. They are bowls where water accumulates, and that water seeps through cracks and feeds rivulets and little creeks that flow into... Lakes, and that's what a lake is when water's flowing into a body and flowing out of, that's a lake, the difference between tarns and lakes. And I'm explaining this geology and talking about the water because we're talking at elevations. um, When we're going to talk about brookies, we're going to be above 10,000 feet elevation. Timberline is around 12,000 feet elevation. You can still fish 12,500, 13,000 feet the tarns and some of the lakes are stocked by Colorado Department of Wildlife for sporting pleasure. And above that, there's really no places that you can go that there will be fish. It's just too harsh. But the places Mm -hmm. that are in my book start about 10,000 feet elevation and go up to about 12,500 feet elevation. And that is the heart of the Brookie Habitat. My previous book, Lesser Known Fly Fishing Venues, was all of the public waters available. If it's free and it's public access in South Park, it's in that book, Lesser Known Fly Fishing Venues. And that's around 9,000 feet elevation. And it goes up into the foothills behind Fair Play, and then that book ends. The book is about the larger bodies of water, the South Fork, the Middle Fork, Mm Tarryall River, Lost Creek. And this book, Subaruable, is the high country venue, smaller creeks and lakes and tarns and beaver ponds. And it's not just brook trout, but there are also brown trout and cutthroat and intermittently a rainbow if it has been stocked up there. But the habitat of the brook trout is kind of a slot. And by a slot, I mean that between about 9,000 feet up to maybe 10,000 feet you have a, the brown trout will overlap the same habitat as the brookies and the brown trout eat brookies. And then about 10,000 feet, the brown trout kind of drop out. It's just too high a habitat for the brown trout. They don't go higher when they're spawning in the fall. But you get up higher around 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet, and you might start getting into the habitat where cutthroat overlapping with the brook trout. Now, depending Mm -hmm. on the way that trout and brookies spawn and where they pick places to spawn, the spawns don't overlap very well, and it ends up that the cutthroats at those elevations compete better than the brookies. And so the cutthroats feed on the brookies, especially spawned brookies. And so there's a slot between about 10,000 and 12,000 feet where you're probably mostly getting brookies. And if you're at the lower end, you might be getting brown trout. And if you get juvenile brown trout, they look like brookies. And if you get up at the higher end, you might be picking up cutthroat trout. And boy, those are just amazing days when when you're fishing for brookies and you pick up a Cutthroat trout, and you know this is a yeah. wild, wild fish that has been spawned in these waters and lives in those waters and is migrating around out there. It's just really magical.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you explained about South Park because that was a question I always wondered. You know, you see the trees come down and then they just stop. And <laughs> like, and when we left the last time I saw you a few weeks ago. Julie and I did a exploration drive, which we do, which is just going down roads. We haven't been down before, and we went down to uh, that took that road just um, to the west of Terrell Reservoir. And I love and that goes, road. Goes up over the top and, and down into Hartsel. Gulch Road. Yeah, and we're up there, and we're up at the top, and Julie goes, "Those are bristlecone pines up there." And I said, There I think are right. bristlecone pines,
1: yes, and these are the same trees that in California are famous for being the oldest organisms on the planet. Bristlecone right. pine trees are two thousand or more years old, and we have bristlecone pines in the Mosquito Range, particularly around Alma. And mm. oh yeah, a, over there
0: too. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's a bristlecone pine viewing footpath. In the vicinity of Alma and actually part of my there are 17 chapters in my book specific to each of these creeks that I've written up for people and in the beginning of each chapter and we'll talk about this I will mention if there's something uh, like if the fishing is not so great but I think you should go there anyway I'll mention that and so up by um, Alma there are some creeks that are fantastic, and they lead to fantastic things, although the fishing is not so great on that creek, but you can fish it. Yeah. And one of the things is in the vicinity of Alma, especially if you're with people who don't fish or people who are bored or people who are new to Colorado, as long as they're not getting sick from the elevation, you can take a drive to this area where the bristlecone pines are, and you can walk and be amongst, and you are right at the edge of um, Timberline, All right. it's austere yep. and yep. the mountains go higher, higher, higher than Timberline and you're in this band of bristlecone pines and you can touch them, you can be right there and part of the feeling I get when I'm up there in that kind of country and I love being alone and that is my favorite when I'm up there alone and I because I'm a geologist maybe, but I'm very aware of how old this mountain range is and these rocks that are exposed by erosion, the age of these rocks. And then at the tree line level are these 2,000-year-old bristlecone pines. And I know because of the mining history, the first people up there were the 1870s, but I just feel like I'm part of it as well. I'm part of the universe. I'm part of the sky. I'm part of these wildflowers. I'm up there visiting that area, and I'm going to fish for brookies, but I belong there, too. It's yeah, um, it's yeah. my church. It's my church. It's my spiritual food.
0: All right. Now, why did you decide to write this new book of yours, uh, Subaru Ball Brookie Venues?
1: What, well, that's kind of a that? two-angled question because, Some people ask me, like my guides, why are you writing these books telling people where to go? Don't be doing that. And uh, (laughs) so on one hand, why did I write this book? But on the other hand, why did I write this book? How did it come to be? Um, I write these books because when my door opens in my shop, the people walking in there, some of them have driven for two, maybe three hours. Some of them have flown. In from another state because it's their bucket list to fish the South Platte River, and they've never been there. And they go to some place like the Dream Stream or Eleven Mile Canyon, and there are 200 people there. And I want right, to right. share with them these people some of the magic that I experience, and it's not like a a marketing thing like, here South Park, come here, spend your money, it's the opposite. It's come here, go by yourself, take a map and go up this creek and really see if you experience, if you have an experience like I had. And so, of course, we guide up in these places and some people don't want to be alone, they're kind of afraid, especially afraid of moose and bears. So we'll guide people and then they feel a little more comfortable, but we encourage people to go by themselves when they're more comfortable, when they know how to get there and they know where to park. And so this book will summarize things which I've learned from Joe the Schmo walking in my shop. Some people don't like to drive on dirt roads. Can you believe that, Roger? Can you believe that? (laughs) I mean, literally, I've had people say to me, well, is the road paved? And I say, no. I'm sorry, it's not paved. And where can we go where the road is paved? And, you know, I'm really limited up here in South Park and Park County, period, where the right. roads are paved. The only ones I know are like the artery that goes back to Denver is the only one I know that's paved. Yeah, but, yeah. um So it, in my chapters, the first part thing you see is a map, and then there's a, a five-star rating, in my personal opinion, of um, the importance, I think, for you to go and fish this place. And if it's a low, like one or two stars, I will explain why I gave it a low rating, but why I think you should go there anyway. The box below the maps starts, it has uh, four categories, and one is the fishing quality, one is the access. If it's super easy access, or if it has designated parking, or if there are toilets, there are picnic tables, and then it goes dirt road. What's the quality of the dirt road? Good enough, washboards, rocky and bumpy, you need four-wheel drive. You know, it, so because some people, I've learned, don't want to drive on a dirt road. And like that road that you were on, Roger, yeah, that went from yeah. the cherry all the heart, soul. Um, yep. That's a, I would say that road is washboardy, but not rocky and bumpy, right?
0: Yeah, it was actually a pretty good road. Yeah, I mean you can pick
1: up some yeah. speed there.
0: And yeah, you could you could drive that, that are, in just about any car, you know.
1: So. That is true. You yeah, can drive yeah. it on a motorcycle, though it is washboardy and dusty. And then um another category I put is if it's highly scenic. For example, if the fishing isn't great or some other reason, but if I check highly scenic, it means you need to go here and just look at this, and yeah. you need to take people with you, and you can fish, but people need to lay their eyes on this, and being super means that a normal sedan can get there. You don't need four-wheel drive. You can get there in a normal car, and a lot of these places have been designated for the public. There's parking lots, there's picnic tables, toilets, kiosks with information and people just didn't know that there were these high alpine places that you can get to. And some of them are extraordinarily just breathtaking, beautiful just to see. And that goes back to the the other part of my question, why did I write this book? Back when um, COVID first hit, and, and I'm reminding you that it was an election year, and it was just a really stressful time. My father had also just passed away. And people, if you remember, were, um, people were not going to school, told not to go to work, et cetera, and they were given a stipend to live on for a while. So people are at home, their kids are home, people are stuck. If they were like in New York City, they're stuck in their apartments. But here in Colorado, we were told that it was okay to go outdoors.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And right. so people, every inch of public land out where I live was filled with campers and cars and buses and tents, and people were just left the cities and were just living out in the country trying to just get away from the madness of it all. Right. and. I also was looking for my personal sanctuary which for me I I live up here I live pretty remote I would just walk out of my house and go somewhere on my horses or with my dogs to a river sometimes if it was really hot I will um, and I recommend this for anyone at any time strip down and get in the water and so (laughs) you know when the woods were full of people I couldn't do this, I was really craving something to nurture my soul and help me get centered and times were stressful and and depressing and so I, I got some maps from the US Forest Service and I figured I was just going, it was so hot that summer, the summer of 2020. I don't know if you remember, because now we have really hot summers, but it right. was the first of the huge mega fires where Canada was on fire, Washington was on fire, Oregon was on fire, and Colorado was in a blanket of smoke. Everything was just a smelled of smoke, the breathing quality was horrible. So it was hot, it was smoky, there were people everywhere and I just took a drive one day above Fair Play, and I got up above 10,000 feet, and there were no people, there was no smoke, the air was clean, it was cool. I got out of my car, and I had this view of this huge valley below me, and the wildflowers were just, looked like a Monet painting, and I had found my place, so, Every day, I would escape, and I'd pick up my dogs and go up there, and um, I started trying to fish these little creeks on the way, going, oh, you know, my motto now is, I'd fish that, and I had no idea that every creek had brook trout in it. I Hmm. thought, you know, I, I don't know what I thought about brook trout, and they're not trout anyway. I call them brookies. They are not trout, and I was really getting into my routine with my dogs in these creeks, walking up the creek. So I bought some little rods, and I mean five-foot-two-weight rods, and also my Tinkara rods. And I made uh, it my daily mecca, and I, I would fish, and then I would look for another creek. And so I decided I was going to fish every single creek in the mosquito range, and verily, I did. The only places I had to turn back were because it turned into a four-wheel drive road and I only had a Subaru and I couldn't go any further. By the way, all oh. of the pictures in my book are taken right from the window of my Subaru. All of these high alpine places and these beautiful lakes I found, they're taken right out of the window of my Subaru. And so oh. I, um, I fished. All of these creeks and then I would, I started inviting because a couple of times I came across bear or moose and there were some creeks I wanted to go to that I just felt uncomfortable on the drive. I felt I needed somebody with me. So I started taking friends of mine, my friend Tad and then I was taking my, my best friend Debbie who works in my shop as my manager. And we would just go explore with a map of a creek that I hadn't been to yet. And that would be our goal, to see how far we could get, to take pictures of it, and to fish it. And so we uh, we started this little saying called, I'd fish that. And so now we've made t-shirts and hats that say, I'd fish that. (laughs) Because if we saw anything that was water, we found a lot of these creeks that we would find would look like from the car, one or two feet wide. And we'd be like, let's check it out. And then we'd look and find that there were really deep holes, and these fish would go. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: these really narrow creeks in some places were really deep. Yeah. And so we would just see, and, as, and, as we're driving somewhere else, we would see a spot and we'd circle it to make a point to come back there. And we both would just like lean out the car and look out the window and say, I'd fish that. I'd fish that. And then we'd come back another day and fish it. And so by the time I visited all these creeks, and it really came down to, well, if I'm going to fish all these creeks, then I have to go to this one. And it took me a couple of summers to do it, full time going to fish every creek. It turned into 17 chapters because there are 17 major creeks that you can access, public access, and fish for brookies in the Mosquito Range of South Park.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
1: we were also stepping out and going out of. Uh, I was going up above Salida and I was going above Buena Vista. So I just wrote this book with creeks. I, creeks in South Park. It's the um, mosquito range, and in the back of the book, I list, listed creeks that I did not put in the book, and I said why I didn't put them in the book. In some cases, most of them were completely land-bound by private owners, and you couldn't fish you them. Couldn't get to unless it, yeah, you had, yeah. There's a handful of creeks in the back, and right. you say, well, this? this one's not in there. Go to the back of the book and see why why I didn't put it there there's uh one or two creeks I gave one star because the fishing was just paltry but there were other really enjoyable aspects of being there or it led to a lake that we really liked or it led to a tarn that we really liked
2: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah so that's how the book came about well great We've got to take a break here, Michelle. Um, No way, no way. Yeah, yeah, we're going to interrupt you. And when we come back, we're going to talk about rookies and learn a little bit more about rookies. Oh, um, I'd love to. Okay. All right. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. Okay. The Ugly Bug Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, has been serving fly fishers in Wyoming and around the world since 1983. Their selection of -of top-of-the-line gear and a huge assortment of flies is one of the best in the land. All products are available in their fly shop and online. Looking for advice? Just give them a call and their expert professional staff will help you with whatever you need. Visit the Ugly Bug Fly Shop today at uglybugflyshop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. Again, it's the uglybugflyshop.com or call them at 866 845 9284. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Rating. We're talking with Michelle White about Subaruable Brookie Venues in South Park, Colorado. If you'd like to ask Michelle a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. So Michelle, I always ask my guests at this point in the show, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So tell us about your shop or anything else that you might want to share about fly fishing in, in your world.
1: Well, this has been a banner year. These We've had this crazy wet spring, which is made for a lot of mosquitoes and biting bugs, but it also completely flushed out our beautiful riparian habitat. Green, 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 lots of green, and there are so many different hatches coming off. It's a really beautiful time to fish. And then the water usually you know after runoff, it starts getting low and it starts getting warm and then we've got a second deluge of rainfall, which has brought the water back up here in August we're usually like running to the high country or looking for cool water to fish, but the water's back up again, and it 's clear enough, and it 'll probably start dropping again unless we get another deluge of rain it's just been it's been a Wonderful summer of fishing, and I'm just moving into dry fly fishing now. Where one fly—that's all you need. And and I'm innately lazy, and I just love fishing with just one fly. If you're on a river out here, proper river, you just need a hopper or a caddis or a stone fly or stimulator, and that'll do ya. And if you get up in the higher alpine creeks and and brookie venues at this time of year, I like using a purple haze or something with a prominent white post. You use purple and blues and these kind of colors late in the summer when there's a lot of hatch and a lot of naturals on the water and the trout are just, they have so many choices of what they wanna eat. You put a color out there that'll make that your fly stand out momentarily. So a trout should select your fly versus the naturals that are in the water. And so I like fishing with a purple haze or a stimulator this time of year for that reason. By the way, if you try using these patterns earlier in the year, they don't usually work because trout are still waking up and they're still being really picky and putting their eyeball right in the fly and thinking about it.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So tell us about your shop and your guide service and, you know, the services you provide in case people want to come over there.
1: My shop is in Lake George, which is right on Highway 24 in Park County. And the town of Lake George has like four buildings in it. We're in a gray (laughs) log building on the end. We're open every day, 7 to 5. And if you call us in advance, we can be there earlier or later. Sometimes we are there earlier or later. But we have a very well-flushed-out website, tumblingtrout.com. With many pages in there, I update the weather and the fishing conditions and the flows and the the hatches regularly, like every couple of days, especially if something has happened, like if there was a big rainfall and there was a big flood out on the Dreamstream, I'll update that right away and tell people where they should go. So if you have any questions about what to use, where to go, what the weather is supposed to be, you can visit my website fishing status, plus all of my guides are there. You can look at them. You can read about them. Their phone numbers are there. You can chat with them. It lists what their specialties are. We happen to have probably more women guides than, I think, other shops. I don't know why that is. A handful of them are my age. We do have, of course, younger and and men guides as well. The people who currently work for me have been working for me a long time, and they run this business like it's their own business. They're very vested in outfitting and our reputation and We hang out together we fish together in the in the winter we hunt together. This is very much like just small town fly shop family oriented and for us, the face of fly fishing is whoever walks in that door, that's who fly fishing is. It's not anything that's, like, stereotypical that you'd see in an ad or in a movie about <laughs> fly fishing. Although, yeah. when, when we do get those people, we're very intimidated by, the, you know, really handsome, yeah. fantastic people walking.
0: <laughs> well, you're right. Lake George is not a big town. We took our kids over there last time, and, uh, and they said, well, where's the rest of the town? <laughs>
1: It's, it's oh they bit. people <laughs> are always literally a guy walked in and, and he he was flustered and he said what are what do people do here and, and um i, I was <laughs> flabbergasted and i said well the people that i know go fishing
2: and <laughs> go i didn't fishing, want to like yeah. digress
1: i didn't want to digress um, and tell them you know people mm-hmm. go hunting camping hiking you know the yeah. variety it's like I was fried, and I just wasn't going to yeah. do that. And then he said, yeah. well, well, okay, we can go fishing, but what about the women? Where can they go shopping? And yeah. <laughs> by the way he said that, I realized um, he wasn't talking about, like, the gift store across the street.
2: These right. yeah.
1: ladies wanted to spend some time and look at some nice stuff. And so I told him about Breckenridge. You know, he, you can go fishing up there in the mountains. Yeah, and yeah pop over and they can go shopping in Breckenridge.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, let's talk about brookies. Tell us a
1: little bit about the lineage.
0: Earlier in the show, you said, well, these aren't trout. Uh, they're brookies. So you want to explain that so people understand? I this, am ready
1: to bore you to tears. <laughs> I will try to limit myself. But I'll tell you, my passion in the beginning of my geology career was paleontology. That's what I was studying before mm. I got sucked up into mining. I got sucked up into mining because my passion was studying the evolution of species in the fossil record, a species of anything. And I got hired by a mine to use fossils to work out the a biographic, the stratification based on the fossils in the record. And... Anyway, that was the beginning of my career, just I went off from there. But I'm still and have always been very interested in in the evolution of species on our planet. And so I'm going to bore you with some details. I mentioned that brookies are not trout. They are Arctic char, blah, blah. So why are a char and a trout so significantly different? It's just like apples and oranges. They're both fruit. You can eat them. But... The significant things about them that is in common is they these animals all originated from the same source. They were ocean-dwelling fish. And some of them lived in the Arctic Ocean, some lived in the Pacific Ocean, and some lived in the Atlantic Ocean. And back geologically, before we had freshwater fish, the, sea, the ocean-faring fish would come up on the continent, breed, and go back into the ocean. Well, there were some fish that stayed up on the continent, and those became our freshwater fish. And more like recently, geologically, the family of uh, Salmonidae, which were these fish that lived in the Arctic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, when they, when their offspring stayed on the continental lands, they bifurcated, they became separate genuses. And the ones that lived in the Atlantic Ocean, their genus is Salmo, and those became brown trout. And those ocean-going salmon became Salmos, and they started in the Atlantic Ocean. And they saw the lemus genus, These were the ocean-going fish in the Arctic Ocean. And they were closely related to the fish that lived in the Atlantic Ocean because those two oceans touch each other. But they were different enough that those became... A separate genus, the Salvelinus, that became the Arctic char, the Brook char, Lake trout, Dolly varden's and Bull trout. And in the Pacific Ocean, the Salmonidae, the salmon that stayed in the continent freshwater, became the Oncorhynchus. And those fish, that's their genus, became the species that we know as the rainbow. The um, there are still some ocean-going salmon, Pacific salmon, five types, the cutthroat trout, the Apache trout, the Gila, and the golden trout are also separate species of this genus. So digressing a little bit, the brown trout in so the Atlantic Ocean, we think of them, they came from Germany. Well, the brook trout live in the Arctic Ocean, and they were both up on the European landmass and also on the North American landmass on the eastern on the northeastern part of our continent. They're native. They are uh, born and raised there. And they are not trout. They are char. But they're closely related to brown trout, and they can breed with brown trout. And Mm -hmm. they can make, it's like donkeys and horses, they'll make an infertile offspring called a tiger trout. And this is, of course, we make these in um, hatcheries because we like to sell them. Do people want to buy them? But it can happen in nature as well because, yeah. like here in South Park, the brown trout and the brookie do overlap. And although they have different spawning times, they can throw some hybrids. Although those hybrids will be sterile. Sterile. Now yeah. the, rain, the rainbow trout. Have you trout found are,
0: those? Have you found? Well, I think uh,
1: that I have. Yeah. I think that I have. And I took some pictures and I've sent them around and asked biologists said, well, of course, you know, it could be, it's possible, blah, blah, but nobody said, aha, it is, in fact. But I've taken yeah. some pictures because I've been fishing brookies for, primarily fishing brookies pretty intensely for the last two years in a yeah. small habitat that is just the mosquito range, not like all over Kingdom Come, just in really closed habitat here. And yeah. I'd like to point out that um, because of the Oryngus, which are the Pacific source of Intercontinental trout, freshwater trout, which are rainbow and cutthroats, those fish can breed, making cutbows. We can make cutbows in the in the hatcheries, but they also breed in nature and make wild cutbows. And those mm-hmm. fish are not sterile; they can reproduce. And a problem with that is that you get a uh, genetic pollution. And so when we place, when we move cutthroats around, or we put cut bows in different places, it's really had an impact on the purity, the pure strains of trout that are in Colorado. Now, the only native trout to Colorado are five species of cutthroat. Rainbow are not native to Colorado. Brook, right. tra- Brookies are not native, and neither are brown trout. Those were all introduced. We had five species of cutthroat that are native to Colorado. Uh, the greenback cutthroat trout was nearly extinct, but they found a population living in Bear Creek in El Paso County on Pikes Peak, and Trout Unlimited, particularly Pikes Peak Chapter Trout Unlimited, really puts a lot of effort into protecting that habitat. The state and federal have... Every year they collect the eggs and fertilize them and raise them and then plant them in other places in Colorado. And it's becoming pretty successful. I think those fish have been saved from the brink of extinction. And right.
0: I've, I've seen that. They, uh, they're they in Rocky Mountain National Park now. They've got certain yeah, streams up there, there with the greenbacks. There are places that you yeah.
1: can – and there are some creeks in um, South Park that I thought that I was uh, catching greenback cutthroat trout because they looked exactly like it. And so I took pictures and sent them to the state and the state biologists would say, oh yeah, yeah, we know those are there. Those are not pure greenback, they're they're genetically impure. Mm. They have had some, some pollution in their lineage. Yeah, and so, you yeah. know, how far back was that pollution? I don't know, but you know, I, it's very thrilling for me to know that I can go to these places and catch yeah. we've, uh, we've them. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: yeah, we've got a question here from Matt. I want to try to get to some of these questions we have that uh, people wrote in here. Matt Rossett in Basalt, Colorado says, did the brookies compete with the native cutthroats and, and make it harder for them to survive? And are there any places that just have cutties in the area?
1: The brook trout compete and not very successfully. They are at a certain niche between 10 and 12,000 feet. The brookies reign. They win. They eat the other fish. Their spawn is dominant. But when they get in higher elevations, the cutthroat are hardier, their spawn is stronger, and the cutthroat eat the brookies. And there are definitely places where You can be fishing brookies, and it's in the book. If you just keep going higher, you'll get into cutthroats, and eventually the brookies completely cut out, and you just get into cutthroats. And there's some wonderful creeks that you can access driving to. They're in my book, one of which is Kite Lake, where you can fish for brookies in Buckskin Creek all the way up. And then it gets a little gnarly, but... I have made it in my Subaru, and when I got up to the top, there were other Subarus there. I'd almost turned around until, you know, I just didn't. I wanted to get up there. And in that case, with a kite lake, and there's a peak, the first fish I caught there was a big, beautiful cutthroat. Mm. And in my book, it will say, in particular that place, if you would like to hike another mile, you can hike on a, a rocky path a mile up, to Lake Emma, which is known for astoundingly large fish. And so in chapters, if it comes to a place where you can fish, you've got there in a Subaru, but if you're willing to hike, it will say, you can hike up here and you can go to another lake.
0: Yeah, and we just, uh, we got a question in here live from, on the internet that relates okay. exactly to what you just said. Thomas in uh, Littleton, he says, what bug would you use tomorrow at Lake Emma above Kite Lake, thinking of going tomorrow?
1: (laughs) I would use a hopper or an ant. And the reason is, even though it looks like the moon up there and there's no grass and there's no terrestrials that live up there, we're in this season where the cold, at the end of the day, the cold water drops down the valleys. You might have felt this on rivers. The wind picks up. It gets really windy and cold, and that's because the hot air is rising, and the hot air blows up these mountain shoots up to the very top. It's a swap between the cold air and the hot air. If you're rowing on the river, you'll have to be rowing like a a slave to get downstream during that time. But what those warm winds do is they blow ants and grasshoppers up into the high alpine lakes. And those fish know what hoppers and ants are. You could use a chubby. Yeah, Yeah, a hopper and ant, a chubby. You could use a caddis, but I'd stick with terrestrials and um, stimulators.
0: Okay, okay. Um, Rick Takahashi, I think you know Rick. I love you? Rick. Yeah. Big hugs to you, Rick. <laughs> yeah, he writes in and says, Michelle, are many of the streams and rivers you talk about easy to wade for more elderly and disabled fly fishers? Are these areas easily less challenging to drive to? Can you make suggestions for places to stay while visiting your area, restaurants you recommend? By the way, I just love your fly shop and what you bring to fly fishing. So, um, can you answer some of Rick's questions there?
1: That's a generous comment. And so yeah. in I will mention in my chapters if there is, if it's um, thick walk, if the walking is, like here on page 30 it says, talking about Teeter Michigan Creek, it says it's highly overgrown and the walking is difficult. It's not good for someone with mobility issues. And so I put and you know, the whole chapter is like a paragraph or two paragraphs. It's not like you're going to have to read and read and read to find something out. But it will put in here, there's a star. And I said first there's a five-star rating, then a map, a little little box where it says fishing quality. And the next one down is super easy access. And if that's checked off, then it means this is a great place for people who have mobility issues, where it's easy walking and it's not very complicated. And also we would love if you just called me and asked me or told me where you're going or just wanted to know if you had somebody who, and sometimes we get seriously critical people What they're walking and want to fish, there's places where there are boardwalks built along beaver ponds such as Beaver Creek just outside of Fair Play. Super easy access, very safe to um, access, even in a wheelchair to uh, fly fish for brookies. Mm-hmm. Hope that answered well, your question.
0: Yeah, he also asked, you know, places to stay. What, where, where would you stay if you were uh, overnight away? Well, over on there?
1: my on my website, there's a page that's just for lodging. And it lists the name of the places, the phone numbers, and how much it costs a night. Isn't that great? Because okay. sure. that's basically what you want to know, is you want to how much does it cost. That's where yeah. I start. And so um, I also have some of my personal recommendations I have on my website with like video of the place and what it looks like. And we all have smartphones. You can, you'll, might just do a search to see. And so I encourage people to look at my website. There's, um, it would seem like there's not a lot of places in Lake George, but there actually is a lot of Airbnbs in the area. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. We don't
1: have like um, motel chains or anything. We have Mm -hmm. some nice lodges and cabins and that type of thing.
0: Right. Okay. Um, Gary Kaufman in North Carolina says, what months do you recommend for those of us flatlanders to book your guide service?
1: For my guide services in general, we fish 365. There are three tailwaters, and they never freeze, and that's why I opened my fly shop in Lake George. But you probably wouldn't be comfortable fishing in the middle of winter, being from North Carolina. So (laughs) uh, reading my website, I like to take people pre-runoff, and the runoff is really high in June, so maybe the month of May would be pre-runoff and some stellar fishing that still might be a little chilly for some people. And then we fish all summer long, we know where to go. We have, we're the only fly shop that has permits for all the public access in South Park and we have U.S. Forest Service permits for the high Alpine country also and some private waters up around 10 and 11,000 feet. So if it's really hot and the water's low, we always have some place that we can take you. I have to tell you that um that's a hard question to answer other than July is probably the biggest busiest month. 4th of July starts in 4th of July starts in June, like June 15th. And right now 4th of July is still going. By that, I mean there's people everywhere. And so you really need someone to tell you, well, why don't you try this water? Why don't you go over here? I haven't seen anybody over here in the last few days.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, when we were up there a couple of weeks ago, uh, in a busy part, um, and, you know, I stopped in your shop, we talked, and you said, oh, well, go fishing up in that section, the meadow section up there, and, uh, and you told us how to get there, I son Dan, and I went up there, we were the only people on that stretch of, what, three miles. The only Yahoo.
1: People. Well, so, I usually you know. <laughs> try to, I do go out every day. If I'm not fishing, I'm at least exploring or at least taking my horse somewhere or my dog so that I can look at the water and talk intelligently about it yeah. so that I know where to send people so that, because we guide. And so I need to know where to tell the guides to go. And we uh I will say this though that when it's really packed like in Eleven Mile Canyon people are decent out here. If you find your place in the water, there will probably be fish there. I know Phil Iwane, Rick Takahashi's right. good friend. Phil would argue because Phil like has his very favorite places and if he doesn't get to fish those he he gets annoyed. But there are <laughs> fish everywhere. So if yeah. you go someplace and somebody's there, just fish somewhere else and wait until they go to dinner. The best fishing is in the evening anyway. People have been fishing all day. They go to dinner. That's a good time to arrive.
0: Yeah, and, and even um, uh, even in the campground we were at, a guy was there with a tenkara rod, and uh, he was fishing well, it was probably 50-yard stretch there, right in the campground. And he, I don't know how many, he caught a whole boatload of fish. Uh, within a few oh, hours boatload. so yeah. yeah i mean right in the campground so you know yeah there's good fishing everywhere well dave in connecticut has another wrote in here and let me read what he said he says timely topic as recently we sold our camper the beast As <laughs> have grown tired of campground scene and cost we are considering replacing our f-350 pickup with a practical around town vehicle that provides the ability of throwing together minimal gear and just going on the spur of the moment, car slash tent camping or wherever. You may discuss the limitations of Subaruable fishing slash camping during the podcast, but the Subaru Wilderness model is on our short list of replacement options. And we welcome your input on Subaruable limitations as struggling with the potential we may have be giving up accessing remote rookie streams here in the Northwest. There are things we're willing to sacrifice. But not chasing brookies in remote location isn't one of them. Thank you. So you've got a hardcore
1: brookie fisherman here. Uh, You know, uh, I (laughs) found no limitations to my Subaru. If water looked too deep, I would get out and walk through it to see if it really was too deep. And yeah. at the end of two years when I wrote this book, my husband went out and bought me a 94 Toyota 4Runner because I was beating my Subaru up. Just, you know, I had uh, tickled the muffler too many times or scraped my uh, the rear end going through really deep ruts and things. <laughs> and so it's broadened my horizon to go in my um, four-wheel drive vehicle and Actually, it's put me in harm's way because I really push the envelope when I go somewhere and I have four-wheel drive. And But I, you know, for my Subaru, I would fold the seats down and I kept a blanket and pillow back there and emergency stuff in case of anything if I was going to be sleeping in my car. And also, all my fishing stuff fit in there. And... Because I was alone, I, I would just explore in my car. And if I felt nervous about the road condition, I'd get out and walk it to see how far would it be if I could turn around. And yeah, I've yeah. never, I am famous for if I feel confident, like overconfident, like if my husband's in a vehicle with me, I will get a vehicle so exactly stuck that you cannot <laughs> inch. Because I'll be like forward, backward, forward, backward, until it absolutely cannot go forward or backward anymore, and that's when I asked my husband, "Would you like to drive?" So you
2: know. (laughs) So you're a
1: Subaru Subaru.
0: believer, huh? Yeah. So so sold on Subarus. Well, good. We got David. uh, Yeah. Yeah, we kid about that. Uh, I spent half my time in Boulder, and (laughs) it used to be that. Uh, you know, if a car wasn't a Subaru, we were looking at it going, well, why is that in Boulder? Because <laughs> everybody seemed to own a Subaru. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Um, David in uh, Fort Collins wrote in and says, I have caught most of the master angler size trout in Colorado except brook trout. What are your suggestions for catching a 16 inch plus size brook trout in Colorado? Are there any that size in Colorado? There, there are.
1: No? That not, there are not in the creeks that, um, that are in my book. These are wild trout and wild habitats, but there are places that the state record brookie that stood for like twenty years was caught up by tin cup and that was an eight pound brook trout. But that record was recently broke by a guy who got um a huge like sixteen inch brook trout and it was here on the on the front range and I think he got it if he didn't get it out of Lake Emma, he got it out of Lake Whelan, which is above Montgomery Reservoir, which is one of the In my book, you can – oh, no, that's a different book, sorry. But Lake Whelan is above Montgomery – I'm writing a book right now on the seven fishable reservoirs of South Park. And you probably didn't know that there's seven reservoirs in South Park. But um, Lake Whelan is above Montgomery Reservoir. And I think that's where the guy recently broke the state record. So, yeah, there are some huge brook trout, and that's not going to work for me because I have a 5-foot, 2 eight rod, and I recently bought an 8-foot Tinkara rod. There's a kid in Colorado Springs, he makes 5-foot and 8-foot Tinkara rods. He's, like, in his 20s, and he calls mm. them Tiny Tin, T-E-N. I don't know if you can buy them online, but I go down there and I buy them from him and I sell them in my shop, and when they collapse... They collapse to like eight inches and ten inches. The handle, oh,
2: wow. Perfect so for it's real easy.
1: Yeah. Oh, backpacking or on your bicycle or when yeah. I'm grouse in the fall, I grouse hunt. Uh, so I'm wearing an orange vest and I have dogs and I have my shotgun and I hike up creeks and if I see grouse, that that's what my goal is. But if I don't see grouse, I'll empty my shotgun. Take my orange off and pull my tankara rod out and fish for a little while because uh, the brook trout and the grouse can't figure out am I fishing or hunting? Fishing or hunting? And and I found that I really get into more grouse that way when they they relax.
2: Yeah. When yeah. I'm
1: fishing.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Listen, we have to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about some fishing strategies, tactics, you got, and some of the some of the superoval places that you've been going. So. Hang tight, we'll be right back. Okay, Roger. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like the Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI serves as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, you can go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Michelle White about Subaruable rookie venues in South Park, Colorado. If you'd like to ask Michelle a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and put your question in that Q&A box, and uh, we'll see if we can get to it tonight. All right, Michelle, you've mentioned a couple of times the, the size of rods uh, that you're using. So you have a, is that what you recommend? Is, would you say a five foot eight inch? Or what What was that?
1: Well, the reason is, and stealth is really important, and, and I'll, lead, I'll get to that in just a sec. Um, most of these habitats have a lot of willows around them, and they're overgrown, and and then they open up around beaver ponds. And people think that when they're fishing for brookies, they need a super fine, like 6X, 7X, long leader, and it's the opposite. These fish, when they're taking flies, they're not leader-shy or line-shy at all. They'll take flies before flies have hit the water. You want a short, fat, tough leader because you're going to be getting hung up on bushes and willows a lot, and on um, sticks and things, and you want to win when you're pulling your fly. And if you've got 6X, you're just going to keep losing your flies. And so short fat leaders is the way to go because you're going to be getting hung up a lot. And because there's a lot of willows and bushes in these type of places. When I do come to a beaver pond, I do want a longer leader and a really fine leader because the water is very still and the fish feel a vibration of something hitting the water. When a fly lands on the water, if a natural lands on the water, the trout are aware of that. They're all like their ears perk up. They have this lateral line on them and that lateral line is for feeling vibrations in the water for lots of reasons. And one is they can locate food using that they can also feel vibrations that are out of the water if you're walking heavily they can feel those vibrations they can hear your voices and they can see you so you're not going to like this but really tall or heavy people have a harder time catching brook trout than little short ladies do. I mean, first off, Mm. the trout don't take me seriously. They're like, she's not fishing. But it's true. (laughs) And the other thing is that um, there's a cone of vision above a trout that it can see something outside the water. Because of the uh, diffraction of light passing through the medium of water and then the medium of air, the light waves are bent over. That's when we're In the air looking down through water, you put a pencil and a glass, and the pencil under the water is kind of bent to the side. It happens the same when you're under the water looking up. So fish can see what's above them, and then they can see like images and refracted images that are bent to the side about 45 degrees. And below that is a blind. Cone, They can't see anything. So if you're far away from the edge of the bank and you're walking closer, if you walking slowly, so you're not thumping, but you start getting shorter and shorter, literally crouching down, and then we're getting up to the bank, actually getting down on a knee, the trout can't see you. They might have felt you approaching, but they can't see you. And so that's, um, part of that is one of the stealth approaches. The other is just get to the stream and get in the water and then just hold still and don't do anything and let the trout start feeding again. That's what herons do. They arrive at the water, they fly in, they land on a rock, and then they hold really still. The trout usually don't flee. They usually just stop feeding and go under the overhanging bank or against a rock and they wait for you to leave. But if you wait, they start feeding again. Sometimes when you go up to Brookie Creek, you'll just see them all flee. There's probably some left behind, but you really should try to be more stealthy. And also the cast, You're not going to be doing any back casting. You might think you are not back casting until you get hung up behind you and then you realize you are back casting. So you use light roll cast and what's called a steeple cast where you lift the line straight in the air and then you pull it down out of the air. It's called a steeple cast. You can actually get a little bit of distance with that. No back casting. And with tinkara rods, if you have a really long rod, you can helicopter your fly-in. But say I have a 12- or 18-foot rod. If you helicopter your fly-in, and if what I'm talking about is I'm fishing my rod through the bushes to hover over a big hole, and I'm going to lower the fly-in there, the line on the tinkara rod can only be about four or five feet you're helicoptering this fly through these opening in the bushes, and then you're lowering the fly onto the moving water in this hole. That's uh, really different from standing in a creek with a tin rod that has 10 or 12 feet of line on it, and you're doing your flick in the air to get your cast out in front of you. That would work if you have a larger and more open rookie creek, and some of them are that way, but mostly I'm prepared when I have a tinkara rod, because I'm not casting, instead of shortening or cutting the line, I'll just tie like a bow tie knot in it to shorten it up from 10 feet to 5 feet because I'm not Mm. casting. And because I've tied it in a bow, I can easily untie it and go back to fishing with 10 feet of line. And helicoptering in means that I'm, I've got Rick Takahashi's hopper on, the Takahashi hopper, and I'm lowering that down till it touches the water surface. And I might let it move down with the water, or I might pick it up and set it again on top of the water upstream and play that a few times to try to get the trout that's under the bank that's been seeing this fly to come out and hit it.
0: Yeah. I just, um, I saw a guy there when we were uh, camping the last time uh, on the uh, Terriall River, and he had 10 car, and, yeah, he had, he didn't bow tie it like you were talking about, but he had cut his line way back. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he oh. probably had eight, eight feet of line on there in a liter because, You just didn't need it, right? I mean, the casts were so short. Yeah. You want to be uh, away
1: from the bank. You want to be away from the edge and just lean your rod, You're back in the bushes on on your knee, and you want to send your, like, 13-foot rod just over the bank and helicopter your fly in and blindly know that the fly is touching the water. And then you're like, boing, you know, know, a fish took it. Somebody
0: takes it, yeah. I did while you were talking too look up that tiny ten that you were talking about, Yes. it's uh the website is tinytenkara.com, and yeah but eighty five bucks that's not bad for four foot eleven inch rod and
2: colla they're wonderful, eight and
1: he has a five yeah. inch uh, yeah five foot one as well there they're yeah. really nice rods yeah, and he's a cool. he's a very nice person as well, you yeah. know I'm all for youth. He's a youth, and he's being an entrepreneur, and I'm just so proud of him.
0: Yeah. Um, Ruben Amador in Monument, Colorado, wrote in. He says, Michelle, you rock. What is your go-to dry fly of choice for fishing South Park?
1: It's usually a a size 18 Purple Haze, and (laughs) that is – Right now, you can't go wrong with a caddis. You have to have a caddis or a yellow sally because they are they are in your hair when you're walking through the weeds. But my go-to fly, and I've got this uh, little wrist thing that I bought at the Denver Fly Fishing Show. It looks like an Apple Watch. It's a little fly box the size, maybe one inch by two inches, on a rubber wristband that sits in my wrist. And my latest thing oh. is it holds 12 flies. And so um I know i'm if i I don't have twelve different flies because I'm going to lose some flies, and I also put some flies in there for if I'm really frustrated and nothing's working, I'm going to have like an exotic weird ass fly in there. But if I open that up, it's primarily filled with purple haze or some royal wolves or caddis, and I'm partial to uh, Mr. Petterbaugh's foam caddis because he's such a nice gentleman and he lives in Salida and I just want to support him and my other fly tying friends with their patterns. So uh-huh. anyway, that's I, I just wear a lanyard and I wear it over my shoulder, not just around my neck, but I wear it kind of like a quiver so that when I'm leaning over, that stuff isn't dangling in front of me. And on my lanyard, I have a hemostat. It has a wine cork for sticking uh, used hooks in and it's got two tippet on it and floatant and nippers. That's the only thing on my lanyard. And I have this little wristwatch thing with twelve flies in it. And I don't take a net because I release my trout under the water.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh yeah.
1: that's how I'm fishing. I'm I've got okay. my lanyard, my little well, wristwatch and that's it. Cool,
0: yeah. Yeah. Light flying light and lean there. <laughs> um Let's talk about these venues and kind of run through, and maybe you can kind of highlight what's there because we're running out of time here. And uh, but I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about some of these places, and maybe you know something special about that particular area. But let's start with the northern tributaries of the South Platte, and that I believe uh, covers um, the Terryalls area over there in Lost Park, right?
1: Well, my favorites in there of the uh, five creeks that are listed, of which you've mentioned Lost Creek and Terrell, my favorites are uh, Jefferson and Michigan Creek. If I am just on my own and I just have a limited amount of time I can't explore, boom, I'm in Jefferson Creek. And you do have to pay. I have a U.S. Forest Service pass to get in there. But it's astronomically beautiful. I'm going to see moose, maybe a bear. Nobody's going to be there. I'm, I'll catch two, three different species of fish in Jefferson Creek between Jefferson Lake and the gate, the kiosk where you pay. And by the way, that's open all winter, and you can. the gate's closed, but you can park and walk in. And it's also really great to like a cross-country ski up there and fish right. a little bit in the tailwaters. And Michigan. Now this Creek, is. Uh,
0: this is. These are Jefferson, Jefferson and Michigan are kind of northeast of the town of Jefferson, correct?
1: That's right. Town of Jefferson, yeah. you head west. Okay. Yeah. And Michigan Creek, boy, it's in a glacial basin that's just chock full of creeks: French Creek, Johnson Creek, Michigan Creek and right now they're up because of the rain and they're just astronomically beautiful and they're just so full of fish you just mm. you can't you just walk up and start fishing but the beauty of that glacial basin and you can also just camp anywhere it's dispersed camping and it's chock full of grouse so it's one of my favorite places it has logging trails that are closed to logging, but it makes for really easy walking access. You can get really yeah. deep in the woods on these logging trails to follow creeks or follow grouse, and your dogs can go with you. If they're trained dogs, you know, when you cut dogs loose in any of these environments, you're opening them up to elk, moose, bear, mm-hmm. mountain lion. So you have to have dogs that will come when you tell them to come and immediately
0: Yeah. because of yeah. that. Yeah, I had um, a friend of mine. Dog wasn't trained and it was loose, and ran into the woods and uh, he uh, after a, a deer, and uh, he went to to get the dog. When he found the dog, the deer had uh, picked him up with his antlers and put like six you know wounds in that dog. And they I had hate to take those him to...
1: stories. Oh uh, my dogs are yeah, well... my children. They're my friends. We explore yeah. together. We spend a lot of time yeah. together.
0: But, yeah, so it's the along, main, I mean, yeah. It, those deer can do major damage to a dog, just so people know. All kinds yeah,
1: kinds of things, you know, porcupine, yeah. skunk, stuff that you just don't yeah. want them to get it. They can bother yeah. other people. They can chase wildlife, et cetera.
2: You've yeah. got to train yeah.
1: dogs. Or, if they're yeah. not trained, yeah. put an electric collar on them. Yeah. And um, also so, my chapters where I said if it's uh super easy access, if there's parking, it also says if it's dog friendly. So I'll mm-hmm. check off if it's dog friendly or not. Okay, okay. So uh what about the Middle Fork
0: tributaries then?
1: Middle Fork has my favorite creeks in it, the whole Middle Fork from from Harsel up, I mean, you're going through Tomahawk and Garo, and then you're going through Fairplay and upstream of the Fairplay Beach. These are, this is freestone waters. This, the trout you're catching are wild. They're spawned in those waters all the way up to their origins, all the creeks that feed into the middle creek like buckskin and mosquito. Those are probably my home creeks. The middle fork in the vicinity of Alma, you never know what you're going to catch there. Uh, the other day we caught what I think is a wild spawned rainbow. We know rainbows aren't indigenous, but it was a juvenile rainbow and it still had the vertical bars on it. It wasn't a cut bow and it was really healthy and didn't have any nubby fins like if, if it had been stalked. And the rainbows do spawn as they do in the dream stream. There are successful spawns, the spawns just aren't strong enough, they are not replacing the parents so uh-huh. there are trout that are born in the wild that live in the wild just not a lot of them but i think in that middle fork above alma the other day my client we caught this juvenile rainbow and i think it was a wild spawn rainbow it was really exciting for me i mean that kind hmm. of stuff i really dig that kind of stuff when we get an animal like that and just wondering about it um yeah about yeah. its life how it lives
0: that Alma area, that's where we were talking, uh, you know, yeah, if you want a side venture, go to see the Bristlecone Pines there. Yeah, that's a beautiful area there. Uh, a lot so of Alma's, history, Alma's too. Alma's got
1: some some great food trucks, high-end food trucks.
0: <laughs> high-end food trucks. All right.
2: Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. So, and then we've got the South Fork Tributaries as well, right?
1: South Fork Tributaries. Yeah. Four-mile creep, sheep, creep. These are smaller waters. They are all very remote, small, and just awesome beauty. And they go on and on and on. And so uh, Rough and Tumbling Creek is probably my favorite because it was my first exploration by myself before I even owned a fly shop into what I thought was just wild water. And I didn't know where it was coming from, and I just learned to fish that creek and then we started guiding on it and four mile creek is just gorgeous it has an abandoned atv trail along it so it's four mile creek is really easy walking to get to the beaver ponds which is unusual but the road to four mile creek is severely washboard just really awful um weston pass the creeks, there's multiple creeks on that road, Weston Pass. And at the top, Weston Pass turns into a, a four-wheel drive road. But I have done that pass in my Subaru, praying that I could get back where I came from. But um, the creek yeah, we on Weston Pass.
0: Yeah, we didn't find ahead. Weston Pass, to, the road, to be that bad. We did. One time we went uh, from Alma and you then go we over? went up. Yeah, yeah, we went over it. We camped up there. Um, oh. But uh, the road that really kind of kicked our butt was, um, oh, jeez, now I forgot the name of it. Mosquito Pass? Um,
1: oh, yeah. No, you're supposed to stop. In my book, it says stop here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you get yeah. to that place. And by the way, there's a... That historic London mine mill that's obvious, that historic yeah. build. There's a guy who has renovated the office there, and he's made a really nice lodge out of it. And he's oh. going to be catering to people who like to um, to hike, people who want to hike up there. And we're going to have exclusive fly fishing guiding there to oh, guide nice. the Mosquito Creek there, and they have beaver ponds, and they've done some structural work. And we also permit with the U.S. Forest Service, pardon me, to guide Mosquito Creek in that vicinity. Yeah. And if people want to hike up to Oliver Twist Lake, we're working on getting access. We'd have to have a guide with four wheel drive up there with lunch waiting for you, because, mm. and you'd have to hike on foot unless you were going to four wheel drive up there. This stuff is in the works, but we hope that we'll be able to offer this next summer.
0: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. incredible areas up there that you've talked about tonight. It's, um, I mean, it just got me thinking. We think we've explored everything, and now I'm thinking we've, we've only just begun. <laughs> you know? and, and you know, and I, I live so close to this a- as well, you know
1: as i said you know besides this book and what i put in here south park and we guide here i've been stepping out and fishing the tributary of the arkansas river also and having these same experiences so it really is never ending if you have a map i have an app on my phone called on x and if you download the data while you have cellular coverage in the area you intend to go It will keep the maps and the data on your phone, even when you don't have cellular or Internet access. And the significance is it will show you satellite imagery, where you are, and the property boundaries. So you can be pretty sure if you're fishing, um, you know, a little stretch of creek, where you can start and where you can end fishing on that creek. And that's opened up my world, and I've been – Gosh, I love fishing around Leadville. I just love it, and I've recently been expanding fishing the headwaters around Salida and up Monarch Pass.
2: There's it's just another never, book.
1: you know. <laughs> I don't know where, you know. I don't know where it's going to end. Like I said, I'm still yeah. working on the seven fishable reservoirs of South Park. Yeah. If you don't know what those reservoirs are, I'll help you. You've heard of Eleven Mile and Spinney on tarot. Right. You probably might remember Jefferson and all. Maybe you didn't know Fair Play has a reservoir, and you probably did not remember that we have Montgomery. Those are seven reservoirs. Hmm. And, P.S., we're working on we, human beings who live in Colorado. Aurora is building a new reservoir called Wild Horde Reservoir. It's not going to be using any more of their water rights, there's a pipe that feeds the Arkansas River water into Spinney. Like 70% of the water in Spinney Reservoir is derived from the Arkansas River through this Otero pipe. Along that pipe that. Yeah. along that pipe, um, in South Park in the vicinity of So, they're going to put in another reservoir called Wild Horse, and it should hold more water than Spinney, and it would be another recreational water for us all.
0: Well, what uh, I heard something the other day about Lake George itself going to be drained—is that true?
1: Oh, don't Hold you on. wish the rumors oh. are so hilarious? Actually, no. There oh, is okay. a um, there's a historic barrier that is a dam that's before Eleven Mile Reservoir was dammed. Colorado Springs had this dam at the bottom of the. Um, canyon where it diverted water for their drinking water. And that's been abandoned. They don't, but that dam is still there. And then 11 Mile Reservoir Dam was put in. Well, we are removing that dam. We, you and me, our taxes, that dam that's downstream is being taken out. It's an impermeable fish barrier on the water, and when it's removed, and it's being removed, like right now, it's going to be gone really soon, by the end of September, poof, this will be the longest contiguous water from Cheeseman Reservoir on the South Platte all the way up to the dam of 11 Mile Reservoir. Trout will be able to, and salmon will be able to freely swim up and down. Right now, Hmm. that's a fish-unfriendly barrier. And if you were there, not now because it's disappearing, but I've been there in the fall and watched huge brown trout looking like it was in Alaska, jumping and jumping and jumping, just like those uh, videos where the bears are snagging salmon out of the water. Yeah. Huge brown trout leaping in that water trying to get upstream in the fall to spawn. And that barrier is going to be removed and they'll be able to go up in the canyons. and then they'll be jumping trying to get up in 11 mile reservoir.
2: <laughs>
0: so you think it's a good thing then that they're doing?
1: I think it's an excellent thing.
0: Okay And good, I've,
1: good. I've looked at um, our chapter Trot Unlimited has been very involved in looking at every inch of this and they're going to rebuild their riparian habitat to what it was before that dam was put in. They had pre-engineering nice. drawings nice. for that and even the boulders they're restoring the boulders where they were i think it's going to be beautiful
0: good good great well michelle we've run out of time in fact we're, we're oh. over time <laughs> so okay. it just blew I'm sorry. by but I'm sorry. um oh no don't be sorry don't be sorry okay I, you know we, we could right. probably go on for another hour but i have to i have to stop at some point so okay. uh, but um, when we return, hang tight with me here because we're not done with you yet. Um, We've got when some we re-
1: prizes. Don't we have prizes?
0: Yeah. We're going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, one-year membership to Trout Unlimited, and a copy of your new book, uh,
2: Suburino wow.
0: Brookie. Okay. And speaking of your new book, how can people order that? Should they go to your website?
2: They
1: Call can order you. it through What's my a... website or my shop. They can order it through Barnes and Noble, and they can order it through Amazon.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know it was available at all those places. And it's your website is by tum... Barnes and Noble. Okay, your website is uh, tumblingtrout.com, correct? Yep.
1: Tumbling okay, so Trout people can go there.
0: And I expect yep. if they order it there, they might get it autographed, right?
1: Oh, I will definitely autograph it. And if yeah, <laughs> they, if they have one that's not autographed, bring it to my shop. I'll autograph it.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and uh, be sure to stop in there, as we did when we were in, in the area of uh, Lake George as well. Well, um, hang tight. We'll be right back when we give one of those prizes, and then we'll call it a night. So, Okay. Reeling and Healing Midwest is a nonprofit organization that champions fly fishing retreats for women surviving and battling all types of cancer. Their mission is to introduce women to the healing powers of the sport of fly fishing and provide a -a one-of-a-kind experience on and off the water. This is accomplished through the elements of fly fishing, positive camaraderie, peer coaching, and a nurture and support network, which in turn renews the spirit and hope of each participant. Reeling and Healing Midwest is in need of trout flies, waders, leaders, fishing equipment, and other items to view their current wish list and to learn how you can help support their retreats, visit fishon.org. Again, fishon.org, or you can call them at 616-855-4017. That's 616-855-4017. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, What Did You Think of the Show?, Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away a few of our prizes here. Uh, The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. So if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but uh, be sure you do it for the next show, and uh, you'll have a chance to win some of these great prizes. So the first thing we're – oh, and the lucky winners will contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Flyfishers International. And you can learn more about FFI by going to flyfishersinternational.org. If you don't win tonight, go there and join anyway. It's a great organization to support. So now we'll give away a membership to that. I fire up my database here and press my magic button and get my random selection. Looks like... Uh, Reed Dills in Colorado. So Reed, congratulations. You've won a one-year membership to Flyfishers International. And now we'll give away a uh, one-year membership to Trout Unlimited, another great organization to support, as does Michelle, uh, and uh, quite regularly. So um, our winner for that is... Roland Gaskill. Roland Gaskill in Tennessee. So, Roland, congratulations. Uh, yeah, get a one-year membership of Trout Unlimited. And now Hello. we'll give away a copy of Michelle's latest book, Subarubo Brookie Venues in South Park, Colorado, courtesy of Tumbling Trout. You can get it there. You can get it uh, at uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon, as Michelle said. So be sure to do that if you're going to be fishing the area. I was up there with her other book, and you might want to get that one too. And uh, using that uh, quite effectively the last time we were up there. So, um, and I even had uh, stopped in and had Michelle give me a little extra information there. So, uh, be sure to stop in and see her. But anyway, so what you got to do is you got to answer this question I'm going to ask, and you're going to put your answer in the question box or the, the on their homepage. Yeah. Uh... We might we'll answer this well, a question came in while I'm trying to uh, clear my queue here. <laughs> so that's why I'm kind of hesitating, but it's a good question and I'll, we'll answer that Dennis here in just a minute before we go. Um, so, okay, question is when we were talking about the different uh, venues in in the South Park area in the northern tributary areas, uh, there were two two creeks up there that Michelle was really excited about. What what were the names of those two creeks in the northern tributary area there? Okay, we'll see if that's a a good question and if I can get an answer. I hope that's not too hard, but if people are listening they should be able to get that, taking notes. So we have to wait a minute. It takes a while for these people to hear us. There's a little bit of a delay and then uh, to get the answers, in, Michelle. So, meanwhile, let's let's answer uh, Dennis's question here. He says, "Is there an overall outfitter that can put together a total trip together for us that you would recommend?" That's something you can handle for them?
1: We used to do that, but um, I would make suggestions, and I've done that before when people have contacted me by email and. They've told me a time frame and how many people and maybe what the interests are. I will, um, I'm not going to be making reservations and dinner and stuff like that.
2: But yeah, I will yeah.
1: give you an, an uh, ideas of what people have done in our area where they have stayed and that type of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, Dennis, just, uh, yeah, give uh, Michelle a call. and. Uh chat with her and I noticed too there's places to uh get uh horse back riding and stuff. I don't know if there's I guess it depends on what they want too, you know, do they want to go back in the in the woods with horses or you know just do the fishing by car or there's a lot of different opportunities. looks like I got an answer and a winner I think here on the on the question Michelle so the two the two uh that he that uh Jeff in Monta Vista, Colorado says Jefferson and Michigan Creeks. Is he correct? Yahoo,
1: yahoo. And he we got a winner. How did he that Someone was paying First attention. First one.
2: Yeah, well, I couldn't now we got a, that.
1: <laughs> well, there's I'm be the, really the next impressed. I'm really impressed. The next one
0: is uh, is the correct answer, another correct answer. I don't know, we got a lot of correct answers, so you had to be fast. You know, fast how many tonight.
1: correct answers did you get? Five so far, six. Close <laughs> it down. Seven. Take a Eight. time and close it down.
2: <laughs> okay. I
1: think that we can do 10 books for the first the first 10 people that have the oh, right wow. answer. But you already said out loud what they are. So just we'll close oh, it down. I've already stopped it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's okay. done. So we let's can, see. Um,
1: you get those people's information, Roger, okay. Dr., Dr. Roger Maves. You get those people's information and I'll get some books to them.
0: Let's see here. Um, okay, did I delete them? <laughs>
2: let me.
1: Well, they let me can see contact here. you again. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's see. Or you um, know,
1: I'll tell you this. I will email you the secret password. And if they come to my shop with the secret password, they can get a book. I'm serious. I will email you the secret. Password. I got them all here.
0: I got them okay, all here. All right. Okay. Let's see. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or six. I think six. When we said we were going to stop. So is that good? Did okay. so I let all the That's all those good. people?
1: All okay. those people can get a. We'll get a sign book. I'll mail it for, if you give me their information. I'll mail it for my shop. Okay,
0: great. That's more than generous, Michelle. <laughs> Only expected one, but uh uh I will uh reach out to you folks that uh got the right answers here and um I'll tell you right now Chris Lungin, Lung- Bill, Colorado Springs, Jeff Arterburn and Monte Vista, Bob Younger, uh Indianapolis, Joyce Stemming and Golden, uh Silas Gray. In uh, Missouri, Jeff, I don't know, like, we already got Jeff. So those are the winners. I will send you all, I have your all emails, so I will send you information and uh, we'll get you taken care of. So great. That's fantastic, Michelle. Thank you so much. Uh, like I said, more than that. Boy, general, what a so pleasure. Many, yeah, a big yeah. pleasure.
1: I'm very grateful as always. Thank you. And you blessed yeah. me with this opportunity. Thank you, Roger.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on our show tonight. And uh, I'll see you soon over there (laughs) and pop Uh in again to say hello. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully, you've all found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on the top line menu. Archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 300 and, I don't know, 80 shows now. Uh, You can search by keyword, keyword phrase. Put in Michelle White, and you will find the other show I did with Michelle White about fishing venues in the Terrell all area as well so you want to listen to that one too i think and get that book as well our next broadcast will be on august 23rd 7 p.m mountain 9 p.m eastern time and on that show i'll be interviewing robert younghance and our topic for the show will be bugs bugs and more bugs robert aka the bug guy is an internationally known aquatic entomologist fly fishing guide and instructor. Entomology plays a big part in being a successful fly fisher. Robert breaks down the different classes of insects that fly fishers are familiar with and helps you identify and understand their life cycle. The more you know about these bugs and how they live and procreate, the more you'll be bringing to the net. Be sure to add this to your upcoming show on your calendar. Just put Add to Calendar button just below um, Robert's photo on our homepage. Use that, add it to your calendar, you'll be all set. We'd like to thank Flyfishers International, Trout Unlimited, Stackpole Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, and Flyfishers International for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at AskAboutFlyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements uh, so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening, Ask
2: About Flyfishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.